This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. The Immigration Department is seeking to deport a Malaysian-born mother and her three Malaysian-born children, all of whom are officially stateless, to Indonesia. This family was detained on the 1st of July and has been kept in detention since. But why is the government aiming to deport Malaysian-born people, children no less, to a random country? Joining me on the show today to unpack this is Dr. Hartini Zainuddin, child rights activist and the co-founder of Yayasan Chowkit. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hartini. Perhaps you can start by sharing a little bit of background on the mom and the children, as well as why they were detained. Thank you so much for having me, Dafran. So it goes back to, I think, 1986 or even prior to that, um, the grandmother um, actually um, came from Indonesia but was given her PR status, I think, two years before the mother was born, the mother who's now detained. Um, So under the law, um, the mother is entitled to to Malaysian citizenship because it's um, the law under the op- I mean it's under the operation of law um, rule under the federal constitution, and so you know she was born in in, in a Malaysian hospital and you know she, and she has kids and the kids also have uh, were also born in Malaysia. The issue here. I think, which is the bone of contention. I'm not. I'm not a lawyer, so I've got to make that clear. So, from what I understand, some some discrepancy on the birth certificate, and because of that, the mother is technically stateless, and therefore the children um, are technically stateless. But it's it's some discrepancy over the, her birth certificate. But all her other siblings, all this mother's siblings, and all have Malaysian blue ICs, yeah, and the mother has PR. So really, it's automatic. Um, but yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's it's a common mistake and interpretation by NRD um, as well as immigration um, in terms of assuming wrongly that just because a mother came from or was born in another country, therefore they are you know cannot possibly be Malaysian citizens, uh, which is in this case completely wrong. Right. And how did the detention happen? There was a raid at 1.30 in the morning. I actually wasn't here. I was out of the country and I got the call in the morning. But there was apparently a huge raid at 1.30 in the morning and um, immigration rounded up the children and the mother with the mother. How can people born in Malaysia, grew up in Malaysia, how can they be officially stateless? That's because there's two ways. One is that the the country, or in in this case Malaysia, doesn't recognize the children as or the people as uh, Malaysian citizens, and therefore they're not uh, given citizenship or recognized as citizens of any other country, so they become stateless. And we know for a fact, which is what um the bone of contention where children are concerned, there are at least ten categories on statelessness and how they become uh, stateless. Um, so this is one of the categories. Right. So why is the government seeking to deport them to Indonesia? I guess there are two questions here. Why deport in the first place and and why Indonesia specifically when these are, as you've established, Malaysian-born individuals? Well, A, number one, there is this, this, what I guess certain policymakers consider tough um, laws on immigration uh, where they are rounding up 
um, anybody with no proper documents uh, or no on or, or you know the documents aren't aren't um, all recognised. Um, and therefore, you know, they consider them foreigners. And the problem with Malaysia is um, that we tend to lump stateless or refugees or migrants or anybody with no proper documents as foreigners in the other. Um, and the assumption is, oh, if the, you know, if, if the originate, uh, if the country of origin is somewhere else, then the, the person belongs there, which is so completely wrong because these children and the mother were born in this country. They've never left this country, obviously, because they couldn't obtain any documents or passport. Right. They have no ties, zero ties to anyone in Indonesia. Their family is all in Malaysia, are considered Malaysians. Um, and they're deporting them to a country that um, they don't know. The children, I mean, they're 7 to 11 years old. Um, yeah, it's it's just cruel and horrible. And the government is enforcing something that, that's just unjust and wrong, completely wrong, without taking into consideration the fact that, you know, they should be doing more investigation and stuff. So the lawyers, this isn't my case, and I'm just helping out. So um, the lawyers are today um, going to meet with immigration, I think, in court and try to see if they can do some kind of case management and just pray that we get them out. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It is very tragic indeed. Now, what does being stateless actually mean, Dr. Hartini? Many people may not have a concept of, of what that is. What's the impact of being stateless on well, that individual yeah. or family? Well, I've adopted four children who are stateless, and I will tell you, um, as a single mother, well, as any person, any decent human being, I think, um, that is the most horrific, horrible way of treating any human being, let alone a child. Um, the fact that, you know, they have no clear and easy access to health, the clear and easy access to education, the fear of detention... The fear, the 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 negation of having no right to an, an identity to a country, um, that you're cons- you're basically invisible, and that you are treated worse than the no bank accounts, no right to work, nothing. When the truth of the matter matter is, almost all the stateless people in Malaysia are internally displaced, born and bred and raised in Malaysia, because they obviously can't leave. So how can we? In good conscience, how can the policymakers, how can immigration, in good conscience, um, declare that they are foreigners? Yeah, absolutely, and and that is the the crux of this thing, and and, and what makes this case um, not just tragic but very strange. Because I'm wondering, Doctor Hatini, is this just a case of an abuse of power? type of thing, or are the authorities' hands tied because of the existing um, legal framework in place? Because just from a logical perspective, anybody can tell you that if these people, their entire families are in Malaysia, they were born in Malaysia, they grew up in Malaysia, then just from that perspective of just logic, they should be uh, considered Malaysians, or at the very least, um, not be deported to another country which they have no ties to at all? I think, you know, there are a couple of reasons. One, um, the present um, policymakers have been parroting what the past parent um, policymakers in the past and the past and the past. Policymakers have 
have said, which is, oh, if you don't have proper papers, then you are a foreigner. And because, you know, we are not signatories to the Convention on the Rights of Refugees or statelessness, etc., we refuse to recognize. And then they mix religion into it to sort of emphasize the fact that these are the other, right, um, children born out of wedlock, who's... Um, whose who's, uh, parents are not married, obviously, um, you know, are not considered uh, Malaysian unless the mother is Malaysian, right? But then, of course, if the mother is Malaysian and they have a child born abroad, they're not automatic citizens. The bigger problem is the fact that, you know, citizenship is not a right in this country. It is um, seen by policymakers as something that's bestowed upon you, right? It's not automatic that just because you're born in Malaysia, you are given citizenship. It should be, but Malaysia, I think, is one of the few countries that that does not do this. So there lies one of the problems. The other issue is it's election time, isn't it? We always do this around the elections. I say this with sort of resignation and cynicism, but you, it makes you angry after you see this going on for a while. Like I said, I'm in the midst of of you know adopting another two more children, and they're all stateless. I mean, and they're 12 and 13 years old. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, oh, my God, to have to go through this again because my daughter just got a citizenship three years ago is just frightening. And I just want to hide all the children. But, of course, if you hide children in, in Malaysia, you're considered harboring illegals, right? But how do you, how do you um, sort of designate or, or say that a child is less than any other child because something happened that was out of their control and how is it their fault and how are they deemed as invisible and you know they're innocent and the idea or the matter of factness in which the policymakers say oh we're going to deport them is so cold and heartless when in reality there is a clause that says that the home minister and the, the, the dg of immigration can choose not to deport children if they wanted to. They have that discretion. It's in the federal constitution, and yet they don't practice it. So what does that say about how policymakers looks at children? And the other thing is they don't recognize children as below 18. They only recognize them as children if they're below 12 or 10, depending. So it's very arrogant, and it's very abusive and cruel, and it's very wrong to not want to protect any child on Malaysia's soil to the best interest of that child. You know, you brought up something interesting that in Malaysia, citizenship is not a right. Why do you think citizenship should be a right? It should be. It's mm-hmm. actually in the federal constitution. It's the interpretation by policymakers that say it's not. If they were to follow the spirit of the federal constitution and any law, Child Act, uh, United, UNCRC, Convention of the Rights of the Child, the spirit of the act says that you have to protect children because they're children under 18, which we signed, and that any detention is a measure of last resort for the shortest appropriate of time. Those children have been there for three weeks, yeah. The mother also has rights that have been violated under CEDAW, you know, elimination of the rights of women, et cetera, and stuff. But because I'm a child person, I can only talk about what I believe is wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is so, so wrong. On the show with me today is Dr. Hartini Zainuddin. She's a child rights activist and the co-founder of Yayasan Chowkit. After the break, I ask her if we need to beef up our existing laws and policies. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Hartini Zainuddin, co-founder of Yayasan Chowkit. And we're talking about the case of the immigration department seeking to deport a Malaysian-born mother and her three Malaysian-born children, all of whom are officially stateless to Indonesia. So what are the consequences for the family right now if they are forced to leave the country? I mean, like you said, they are not officially citizens of Malaysia, which, you know, like you said, they should be. But, you know, at least the very least, they have family here. They have they have a life here and things like that. They have nothing awaiting them in Indonesia. So what, what are the consequences for the family Can if they are forced to leave the country? Well, immigration says that um, they will deport them. Um, if Indonesia recognizes them as citizens and allows them, right? So but not exactly that per se, but if Indonesia allows them, grants them visa and allows entry, then they obviously have been accepted as Indonesian citizens. I don't know with what papers, <laughs> you know? I mean, they can show them all the papers and Indonesia is going to say, but all these papers say you're Malaysian. So I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. They're going to be in limbo. We had a case um, where a boy was sent back to Indonesia because... Honestly, it was our mistake. We sent him back because because the mother is Indonesia, the father was Malaysian, they weren't married, and we sent this poor boy back. It was the biggest mistake, and one of my one of the biggest guilt I had was allowing this boy to be sent back when he shouldn't have. He had every right to be here. He was born in this country. Um, I'm never going to make that mistake again. The consequences basically, they have to try to prove that they are Indonesian. <laughs> with no understanding of Indonesian culture or, or you know, or being, being able to look for work. The kids have to go to school. I don't know what kind of black mark there is, but they're banned from coming back to Malaysia. They'll be on the blacklist. Um, the excuse is, you know, oh, we can, the mother is in violation, the children aren't. But, you know, since we are not, uh, we, co- we don't separate the mother from children um, and we don't separate them from their family, then the children have to go along because they're going to face this issue, you know, when they turn 18. I'm going... The family is here. The grandmother is here. The aunts and uncles are here. The cousins are here. They're Malaysians. There's no family in Indonesia. Why on earth are you holding the children? We can argue about the mother, maybe. I don't know. But honestly, from what I've seen, she's Malaysian. She was born here. She was raised here. The mother has PR here. And so you you mentioned the word limbo, right, Dr. Hartini. What is that going to look like in reality? Let's say Indonesia says like you put it, like, you know, they look at the whatever documents there are and say, no, this is ridiculous. They are Malaysians. What are you talking about? What then happens to this family? Because Then they become stateless there. So what are they going to do? You know, it is not a love of foreigners that I say this. It is a love for the rights of upholding the protection of children. It is about the fact that the children should be with the mother and that the family is here and that we have the documents to prove that the mother is, for all intents and purposes, under the law, Malaysian. Why can't the government be understanding and have some common decency and humanity to sort of assist them in proving that they are Malaysians instead of wanting to disprove that they are not and then deporting them? The problem with Malaysia is in any law that I see children affected by, it is always very punitive. It's about punishing everybody. It's not about protecting children. And there lies the problem. And speaking of protecting children, um, can children be detained in Malaysia? Does our existing no. legal framework offer no protection at all? No, we don't. Under the current law, 
immigration does not recognize children as being under 18. The fact is that children don't get special protection and rights um, in matters of detention. You know, that's what they say. Of course, you can counter it, but the fact that we are signatories to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, um, the fact that we can use other articles that has no reservation. So Malaysia has a reservation on under the UNCRC on the right to detention. But the truth is we can use other articles in, in the Constitution that have been signed and ratified by Malaysia, um, you know, whether we use... Um, Article 12, uh, which is the views of the children and are not being considered here. The Article 27 that says that that country must recognize the right of every child to a standard of living, adequate for the child's physical, mental, spiritual, moral, social development, etc., etc. So, you know, we can argue that, you know, detention centers aren't going to give you that, right? Um, you know, you you lock three hundred people, um, men in in a in a in a in a building or block. Um, you know, where children are uh, uh, there with adults, you don't recognize them. And we can say you are providing a space for children to be violated and to have, you know, you know, serious consequences in terms of sexual exploitation, abuse, whatever it is, right? So how do you do that? And we are signatories. We can argue so many other instrumental, I mean, um, international instruments and laws and national laws that say you are still wrong. Even though we didn't, we do have a reservation on CRC Article 37 or, you know, whatever. You've got so many other laws that says you shouldn't be doing this. You cannot be doing this. And that the immigration law does not supersede um, international laws and treaties that we've signed. So on July 15, um, the mom and three kids, they filed a habeas corpus application at the High Court in Kuala Lumpur seeking to be freed from detention. On top of that, they asked for a stay order to prevent the government from removing them from Malaysia before the court's verdict on their challenge against the detention. Are there any updates on this front? Mm, There's a case management meeting today, I believe, this afternoon. Um, and but the court has not given a date for the hearing yet um, for the habeas corpus. Um, but they're doing case management today, so let's see what happens. Um, I think today is very important, very very important. And um, I believe the lawyers are prepared; they have all the relevant documents it's needed um, to prove the case and to prove because you know, the grandmother filed this. Yeah. And for those who may not understand, can the government deport people? without first, um, you know, allowing them to stand trial in court and then the court decides whether, you know, individuals should be deported, um, so on and so forth? Um, From what I understand, the immigration law in terms of detention um, does not protect anyone. Um, and, And I think part of it is also because, you know, most people who are in detention, who are detained in raids, et cetera, um, don't understand what the law is or what their rights are. So they, they they don't know that they can file habeas corpus. They don't know they can do a stay of execution. We know how do they have access to lawyers. Um, so this family was lucky in the sense that, you know, the grandmother was that was able to reach out to lawyers who knew what to do and who've had experiences doing, experience doing this. Most of them don't. Um, that's another thing um, that we're looking at as well as access to legal aid. Um, especially for children, um, I think that's one of the biggest programs that I'm looking at as well. Um, the fact that you know access to legal aid for children is down down the priority list in terms of 
getting aid for anybody who needs help. Um, forget children in detention. And there are very few lawyers who do this, and they're stretched. Um, so that's something that we can we definitely look at as well. But, you know, um, the minister and the DG have discretion about who goes, who stays in detention, who doesn't. I don't know why they're not exercising it. And this whole punitive approach and wanting to teach a lesson is misplaced. You brought up this the importance of legal access for these children and, and how many of them are unaware of their rights, understandably so. Um, what are the consequences? What's the impact of this? Um, like you said, this family is a little bit lucky in the sense that at the very least, they have lawyers representing them, they are filing um, you know, for habeas corpus in, in the court and, and, and things like that. What about all the families who do not have any understanding of the available channels, they don't know what their rights are? What do yeah. they go through? What do they go through? They can die. Don't forget the report the, by the Indonesian NGO that said 194 Indonesians died in detention during the pandemic and the response by the Home Minister who said, well, everybody dies anyway, someday, somehow. It's so flippant and so outrageous. So that is the ultimate consequence, isn't it, if death um, children get scabies, you know, we've had outbreaks of COVID, we've scabies, we've measles, we've, you know, all sorts of different things, detention centres. And we know that in detention centres, there are not many doctors and all those who've had access do not have access, um, like UNHCR, um, that so many NGOs have or, or groups um, who want to help um, can't access and you have to go through a really stringent process to be able to go in and assist any of the detention centres. But it's not about getting them out. It's just about documenting what they see and providing some sort of help. But I know for a fact that they're not getting the necessary um, services that's needed, especially for children. Okay, maybe they have a separate room for the children to play with donated toys. That's it. I mean, if we're talking about the developmental stages that, you know, that I mentioned earlier, it's non-existent. Forget the diseases and everything else that's going on. And yes, the worst consequence, flippantly mentioned uh, in response to the and to what the Indonesian NGO said, is death. We right. know this. We know this. So do we need to beef up our existing laws and policies? Because like you mentioned, we've signed all sorts of international treaties. We've agreed on an international stage um, in principle that, you know, to do all sorts of things, um, including protect children. But yet, these sorts of incidences in reality are still happening in the country. So is it, a, is it a case of, you know, incorporating all these treaties that we have signed into actual laws in the country? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you say you sign and ratify, it means your, it means your national laws should be in line with the international laws Absolutely. as well. Child Act is there. It says, it says, you know, protect children, protect all children. It doesn't say protect only Malaysian children, yeah? But that's what we're doing. And the truth of the matter is it's not the laws in place. We've got the federal constitution. We, everything was provided by forefathers in the federal constitution. It's a matter of interpretation and the approach you want to take if you're going to find fault and want to blame one marginalized or vulnerable group for whatever reason, for political gain, for whatever reason, you can do so, right? But it doesn't change the truth that the federal constitution and the laws in place and the EU international treaties were signed to protect um, vulnerable groups, 
not persecute, which is what is happening. We're persecuting them, using the laws, best interests of the child, no family separation to abuse children, to abuse and send them and deport them to a country they know nothing about. That's what we're doing. So let's be clear about that. It's not the law that needs beefing up so much so as the interpretation and policymakers in place who refuse to look at other points of view, refuse to speak to us. Our ATD, I sit on the ATD program, the Alternative to Detention of Children. We've been trying to get five children out of detention for nine years. That's what's happening. And in the meantime, is there anything the public can do to push for the release of the mom and kids? Yeah, um, we can sign a petition. I mean, right. you know, I'm thinking of doing that on change.org, mm-hmm. um, getting a petition going to get them released. We can do that. Um, we can, that's for right now, because this is only one of many cases, yeah? Yep. This happened before, and I've had to deal with it um, to help the other families. Um that's on the short front, on the short term front, to, to, to sign the petition to get them out quickly, and, um, you know, to, through change.org or whatever it is. That's one. Medium term, we should need to look at lifting all the reservations on the UNCRC and CEDAW. That's number two. Number three, long term, we need to be able to have access to these policymakers um, and to educate them. Um, on different aspects and different approaches to looking at the law that protects children and women, especially vulnerable groups who are poor, who come to this country legally and decide that they're going to stay, have proper documents. You know, the, the, the policymakers, immigration should be asking themselves, how is it, right, that some family member, all family members except for this one woman, has blue ICs except the mother, right? And shouldn't you assist? in helping that, because it's still your ministry, right? So why aren't they all working together to protect instead of punishing? Before we wrap this conversation up, Dr. Artini, would you have a final message for us? I would like to address the Minister of Home Affairs and the DG of Immigration to please find it in their hearts to stay the deportation order, number one, um, to, to release the children, You can release the children to the family members while you do the investigation. You can release the children um, now if you want to, uh, because you have that discretionary power to do so. And that we sit down and, and, and think about the consequences, because this is going to come up again and again and again. And like it or not, um, many of us out there believe that what is happening in the to this family, as an example, is one of the worst, most heinous thing you can do to another human being and child. So please think about that. And please, you know, we're not we're not challenging and the grandmother is not, you know, filing a habeas corpus because she believes she's wrong, but she's filing this habeas corpus because she has documents to prove she's she's right. So I don't understand this need to to sort of sakat or put obstacles in a place to make it so difficult and have this punitive approach, blanket punitive approach to deporting children. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me again and giving me the space to say this. Thank that you. was Dr. Hartini Zainuddin. She's the co-founder of Yayasan Chowkit. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes, BFM 89.9.
the business station.